and welcome to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. I want to talk about how you think about somebody who's close to you, specifically your attitude, whether your attitude is hidden or not. I want you to consider this thought. How you think about a person, good or bad, whatever those thoughts may be, will be evident to that person if you are close to them. You may be able to hide your most authentic attitudes from those who are not your most intimate acquaintances. I mean, good luck with that. You may be able to do that. I think sometimes we can even sense a bad attitude that someone has toward us, even though we're not intimate with them. But without question, those you love and those who need your care, you must guard against a bad attitude toward them because they will know it. They will not only know it, but it will impede whatever redemptive, restorative efforts that you would like to have for them. It's really a self-defeating process. And so the key idea in this podcast is I want to talk about these subtle and hidden bad attitudes that we can have toward those who are really close to us. The title of the podcast is A Common Marriage Problem. Here it is. I don't like you. It's framed in this way, and I've heard this many times in counseling, and it's why I'm writing on this subject. I love him, but I don't like him. I want to get into that in just a moment. Now, if you want to read this podcast, you're welcome to do it. Uh, Go on our website, rickthomas.net. Again, the title, A Common Marriage Problem. I don't like him. You can type in part of that title. That's all you really need to do in our search box, and it will come up. You can also listen to the podcast from the article. I have three other articles embedded in this one, and I also have an infographic. As I move along in this podcast, I want to share with you, I'll try to visually paint this infographic for you, but what I would really like for you to do is go to the article and you can look at it. It's free. There's no charge involved with that. Just get the article, read it, print it off, share it, put it in a booklet, use it in your small group, however you would like to use it. Just don't change any of it. And you're welcome to do that, including the infographic. Again, a common marriage problem. I don't like you. But first, I want to thank just a handful of people who have recently partnered with us in this great gospel adventure that we are on. Raymond, thank you for supporting us at $10 a month. Uma, thank you also for supporting us at $5 a month. And then Michelle, supporting us at $50 a year. Recurring membership, thank you so much, Michelle. And then Ellen, thank you for your $25 monthly recurring membership. And Michael, $10 a month, thank you so much for supporting. And then finally, Jeannie. Jeannie, thank you for supporting us at $5 recurring monthly membership. You are helping us with our great gospel adventure. I do want to give you a little tidbit of information. I can't explain it all right now. I'll do that at some other time because I want to jump into the meat of this podcast. But Jeannie, Michael, Ellen, Michelle, Uma, and Raymond 
and all the others who are supporting us, I want you to know that the day has arrived uh, that we're going to stop working out of a shoebox and we're going to, we have officially begun building our brand new website. Uh, we do have the ability now, after 10 years, we have become an overnight success. <laughs> And it has been, in part, a frustrating 10 years because our website has always been built on a shoebox, shoebox budget. Um, but we are going to take the plunge, and I just want to thank you and all of our other supporters. Uh, but Jeannie, Michael, Ellen, Michelle, Uma, and Raymond, and all the others who are supporting us, thank you so much. We are underway, and we will have we will have the site that I have always dreamed of, and that I've been praying for for ten years, and hopefully, well, it'll be eleven years by the time we launch it. Uh, probably launching it on an eleven-year anniversary, which would be great, and that would be sometime in the summer. So I want to thank you, summer of 2019. So I want to thank you. Uh, for your support. Now, let's get back to this notion. Mabel came with Biff, as always, to counseling, and this is what she said. This is how she led. I love him, but I don't like him. This remark was her leading statement as she was sitting down for her counseling session with Biff. She came to counseling because they were having marriage problems and she wants me to fix their marriage. What I, or what she did not realize was that God nor I could fix her marriage problems because she doesn't like her husband. You see, there were two problems with her, with her thoughts. One, I don't fix marriages. I don't fix anybody. That's not my job. I stopped fixing people a long time ago. Many, many years ago, I realized that I couldn't do it. This is God's job. But my responsibility is to water and plant. So thing one that she got wrong, she wanted me to fix her marriage. Thing two that she got wrong that I want to deal with in this podcast, that she clearly stated, I don't like him, but she kind of justified it by saying that she loved him. And that's really awkward and problematic. And when I brought this up to Mabel, she said, no, I, I really do love him, but I, I just don't like him. What she did is she doubled back to reinforce what she said the first time. May I have a dollar for every time I've heard a statement similar to Mabel's? It's like saying, I love mayonnaise, but I don't like mayonnaise. The remark is nonsensical. To attempt to hold love and unlike in the same sentence while suggesting that they do not negate each other is semantic gobbledygook. That's a fancy theological term. You can use that, semantic gobbledygook, when you try to hold the word love and the word unlike in the same sentence while suggesting that they do not negate each other. It's a roundabout way of hiding a lousy attitude towards someone while soothing your conscience as you attempt to convince yourself and anyone else who will buy what you're selling that you love the individual. It's justifying frustration 
to feel better about being disappointed with someone who is not meeting your expectations. Imagine Christ saying, I love them, but I don't like them. That's weird. Either you like them or you don't. The word love and like are synonyms. I understand that you might not condone some of the things that Biff is doing. I really do get that. Or maybe you're not married to Biff, but you're married to somebody else. And you don't like some of the things that they are doing. But that's another matter. Christ did not like the stuff we were doing, but he loved us or he liked us for God so loved the world. In fact, Jesus went so far to say in Matthew 5, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. James, Jesus' half-brother, told us that we should like all people. Why? Because God made all people in His image. This understanding is the only way you can help someone. Even if you do not condone what they are doing. By the way, if you're wanting to help someone, the implication is clear. You don't like what they are doing, but you should like them, a fellow image bearer. This is how James said it in 3.9. With it, the it is our tongue, with our tongues, we, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, our tongues, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. To not love or not like someone is to think you are better than they are. You cannot dislike anyone without being above them or taking a greater than position over them. To not like someone is to be better than they are, or biblically speaking, to be more righteous than they are. Here's a verse you're familiar with. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, or maybe even like my spouse, the only way one person can be better than another person is when that person has received the alien righteousness of Christ. Outside of Christ's perfected holiness, we're all the same. And since you did not do anything to earn Jesus' righteousness, you can't brag or look down on someone who does not have his righteousness, or aren't as far down the path as you are. To say, I love him, but I don't like him, is deceptive and intellectually dishonest. The first thing for Mabel to do is come to terms with how she thinks about her husband. Now again, I'm not saying she has to like what he is doing, but she must like him Maybe you could substitute a word here like respect. Respect this fellow image bearer, even though you do not condone or like what he is doing. Biff needs to feel, or you could say Biff needs to discern or perceive her God-centered attitude toward him. I said earlier on that people can sense it. 
when you have a bad attitude towards someone, you you will put off that vibe, even though you're smiling and reaching out your hand to shake theirs. Before Mabel can help Biff, she is going to have to repent to God. And she's going to have to repent to Biff. And she's going to have to pray that the Father gives her a heart to like her husband. If I don't like you, I am not going to be able to serve you effectively. That's like trying to serve you with, with one arm or, or with your eyes closed. You, you can't serve anyone effectively if you don't like them. At best, I will be able to help you half-heartedly. But my help would not be how God would want me to come alongside you, which would be consistently with the right attitude. And it would be the same for you, too. If you did not like me, I would not expect you to be entirely for me. And your dislike of me will get in the way of your redemptive efforts to restore me to God. And sometimes you'll hear this, that they said the right thing to me, but the way they said it, they put the note on a hatchet and they threw it at me. And you may be right in your assessment of the individual, but your attitude is from Hades. Christ was different from what I'm describing here. He was all in with you, with me. He was committed to us entirely and consistently. He loved us while we were full of nonsense, though he did not like what we were doing. That's Romans 5, 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, full of nonsense, Christ died for us. He was all in. Imagine if you were going under the knife. You were having surgery. You were having an operation. And just before the anesthetist put you to sleep, the lead surgeon said, I just want you to know that I love you, but I don't like you. (laughs) What would you be thinking? How confident would you be that your surgeon was all in as he began slicing you open? Would you want him cutting on you, or would you prefer someone else who not only loved you but liked you too? Minimally, his statement would be confusing and most definitely would not help the relationship Please see the spiritual analogy here. The spiritual operations that we perform on other people are very similar. They are eternally important. We want to make sure that when we are operating on another individual that we do love them and we're not playing this semantic gobbledygook game. If Mabel truly wants to help Biff, she will have to change first. If she's not planning on assisting Biff to improve, I suppose she could go ahead and dislike him while hoping God will transform him in spite of her bad attitude toward him. But is this how marriage should be? I speak as a fool. Of course not. Marriage is one of the easiest and best opportunities to model the gospel. Why? Well, here are two reasons. Because there is no other ongoing, consistent, daily, year-in, year-out environment where you will be confronted more with somebody else's sin. Isn't that great? 
I said marriage is one of the easiest and best opportunities to model the gospel. Why? Because there is no other ongoing, consistent, daily, year-in, year-out environment where you will be confronted more with somebody else's sin. And then number two, there is no other context where you will be disappointed more times and to varying degrees by the same person The regular and ongoing disappointment in a marriage will give you the best snapshot of what God has experienced since the fall of Adam. Since that fateful day, there has never been a moment where the sin of others has not grieved God. And marriage is a snapshot of that. There will rarely be a day that will go by in marriage where some way, somehow, even if it's so minuscule, where you won't be disappointed by your spouse or your children. But rather than getting into semantic arguments over love and like, the Lord got busy plotting a course to redeem humanity. He skipped this this link in the chain that really shouldn't be there anyway. Do I love them, but I don't like them? No, that's not even part of the discussion with the Lord. He got busy plotting a course to redeem humanity. And when we saw that plan come to fruition, or we saw that plan come to fruition when he came to earth to become a man so he could die in our place, God hates sin, but he loves the world. And he has been actively planning a way, that way, synonym for way, Jesus. And he's been actively planning a way for the salvation and transformation of humanity. Mabel cannot get to this place in her heart because she can't get past her dislike for Biff. Right now, she's going through the semantic gobbledygook. She is justifying and excusing her behavior rather than owning it and just accepting the fact that she doesn't like him so that she can repent, so she can move forward and actually be part of the restoration that he needs. And so the first thing she will need to do is stop playing word games. She'll need to come to terms with the deceit and anger in her heart for her husband. She'll have to repent of her idolatry. Her need for him, this is her idolatry, her need for him to be something that he is not at this moment. The reason she doesn't like Biff is that she is not getting what she wants from Biff, and that is the core of her dislike. She married Biff with the hope that things would be a certain way. Guess what? Her dream has not come true yet. Biff has not measured up to her expectations, and she has been increasing in her dislike for him. She does not see this because she has been rationalizing her heart worship. Let me speak more plainly. She has been rationalizing her idolatry by saying that she loves him. And I'm sure at some level, in some way, she does, but there's sin in her heart. If she loved him the way the gospel asked her to love him, she would be willing to set aside her expectations so she could be part of the redemption team that God has in place to transform Biff. The Father, the Son, the Spirit are already on the team. They are ready to go. They all have set aside their plans for the greater good of Biff, especially the Son, as far as setting aside. He was in the form of God who set that apart and and took on the form of a servant so he could help Biff Mabel is going to have to set aside her hopes 
Mabel's going to have to set aside her expectations to go all in like the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. If she does this, she may experience a profound transformative change in her marriage. Then again, she may not see any change in him. But that's not the main point of the marriage anyway, right? Our primary objective for all of life is to put God on display. That's the main thing. Our chief end is to make God's name fantastic in all ways. And marriage is one of those ways we can accomplish this aim. Mabel is not quite ready to experience this kind of grace from the Father because she doesn't like her husband. She's not getting what she wants from her marriage, which hinders her from working God's plan for Biff. She is stuck on her plan. Christ did a complete setting aside of all he had and took on the form of a humble servant to redeem some folks like you and me. Now, I tried to communicate these ideas to Mabel, and that's why I built this infographic that is inside this article. Now, you can look at this graphic if you want to uh, trot on over to our website, rickthomas.net, N-E-T. Look for this article, A Common Marriage Problem. I don't like you. Type some part of that into the search box and you can pull up this graphic and you can look at it, but I will try my best to describe it to you. It's kind of like a house in a sense. It has a foundation and then it has people in the house and then let's say that it has a top or a, a roof. And so as I look at these four parts, the four parts are the foundation and then the two people inside the house are Biff and Mabel. So there's three parts, foundation, Biff, Mabel, and then the fourth part, the, the roof, so to speak, is Christ. He is the goal. The goal, let's say, in this context, in this podcast, is a transformed life. And so the first part is the foundation. The foundation of your marriage, and in this context, the attitude in which you have toward God and the attitude in which you have towards your spouse, well, that's foundational because everything is going to flow out of that. You could say that the foundation are the two greatest commandments, to love God and to love others. And if that is your God-centered, bibliocentric foundation, then what's going to come out of that foundation will be good things. But guess what? Mabel's foundation is, I don't like you. That's her presupposition. That's her starting point. And, because, and it's actually worse than that because she's deceiving herself by justifying herself. I love him, but I don't like him. And because she's in this gobbledygook situation, that is the foundation. That's her starting point. Therefore, uh, she can't really be a redemptive service to her husband. And so in the, found, uh, in the infographic, the foundation, I, I, I like him or I don't like him. Let's say that you do like him. Let's say that you like your spouse. Whether you're a man talking about your wife, you like your wife. Or you're a wife talking about your husband, you like your husband. But let's say that's your foundation. Very good for you. And then the two people in the house. Well, in this case, Biff needs transformation. And so he's one of the parts. And then 
Another part is Mabel. Guess what? Now Mabel becomes an instrument of righteousness in God's hands. Now Mabel can truly and purely and consistently be used by God to help Biff. And then the fourth part is the transformed life. Now Mabel is cooperating with God to help her husband to be transformed into Christ-likeness. Go back to this foundation. You must like the person you want to see change. If you don't like him, you will not be able to help him effectively. Now up to this point in this podcast, the foundational piece is all that I have been considering. The only thing I've been talking about is the foundational piece. Do you like the person or not? But that is because it's the most important thing. This I like you attitude is what Paul possessed when he was addressing the Corinthians. I need not remind you what a pain in the rear end the Corinthians were. You know, they were a bunch of bad boys, right? Well, listen to how Paul began his conversation with them in 1 Corinthians 1 to 4. Four verses in, and this is what he says, I give thanks to my God always for you. You can read the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians and you will come away with this understanding, Paul loved these people. Now call it light, call it love, it doesn't matter to me, but here's the point. Paul had genuine affection for these people, and it was discernible. They felt it. Yes, he liked them. Paul was for them. He wanted to serve them because he loved them. You cannot read this First, this preamble, this introduction to 1 Corinthians, without feeling the great affection that Paul had for these unruly, undeserving people. Even in the verse that I just noted here in 1 Corinthians 1 4, I give thanks to my God always for you. You see that Paul had been spending time in his closet telling God how grateful he was for this pain in the rear end people. Rather than going to them and saying, I love you, but I don't like you, Paul took a gospel-centered approach. He displayed a tremendous amount of grace because his heart was in tune with God's plan for transformation. If you want to be a gospel-centered asset in your marriage, you'll have to get in line with the gospel. Biff and Mabel are going to have to start liking each other, and that is what is going to have to sit on their foundation. Rather than measuring and critiquing each other and basing their like for each other on the other person's performance, they are setting aside their preferences. Is what they're going to have to do for the greater good of each other. Now, Mabel says, I'm willing to do that, but he won't do it. What am I to do with that? Well, the answer is easy. Model the gospel. Were you cooperating with Christ while he loved you? No, you weren't cooperating with Christ while he loved you. No, you were stubborn. You were rebellious. You were obstinate. You were unworthy of his great love, but he loved you anyway. Just because you have repented and you are repenting of your dislike for your spouse, don't expect your spouse to be in step with you. Honestly, that probably won't happen. Your spouse probably won't change, or at least not initially. If you're already thinking about his unwillingness to change, even after you showed love to him, you need to go back to step one again and re-like your spouse all over again. 
what I'm saying is that you probably are going to have to live in a continual state of repentance because I have a feeling your spouse is not going to cooperate with your desire for him. As you walk in daily repentance, you'll be more effective in the change process that your spouse is in with the Lord. Now, rather than living with an expectation of receiving something in return, you should be more gospelized in your thinking because that's the problem that we get into. We have an expectation. If I do this, then that will happen. And then when that does not happen, I get frustrated or angry because they did not respond to my love. The gospel in this context of this podcast, is loving a person with no expectation of anything in return and no desire to retaliate when he does not meet your expectations. If you're expecting your spouse to love you in proportion or because you first loved him, your motives are wrong. He may love you the way you want him to love you, and he may not, regardless of what he does. His actions should not impact your affection for him. Your stubbornness did not stop the Savior from loving you. Listen well. Your spouse's nonsense should not prevent you from loving him. If this kind of gospel thinking empowers you, You're no longer wrestling with silly sayings like, I love him, but I don't like him. Those self-centered thoughts are now gone. You now have one objective. How can I be most effectively used by God to help this person to get to Christ? It takes a lot of grace and a lot of personal repentance to live this way. I know, but it can be done. Christians throughout church history have been doing this And you can do it too. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.